Our message today is on the book of Numbers. Um, <laughs> I thought about having the Count be here from Sesame Street and uh, trying to introduce some creativity into the message, but let me just tell you, this book is, is really an important book. <laughs> um, as I've talked about, it's the book of Exodus that talks about our salvation. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this is all sanctification. It's growing in the Christian life. Unfortunately, God's work in the wilderness in the book of Numbers with a bunch of rebellion from God's people and opposition from the enemies of God, that's a paradigm of the Christian life. (laughs) That's us, folks. We're all over this book. We're in the wilderness. We're not in the promised land. Uh, We are in the wilderness. There's rebellion in our hearts. There's opposition from the world. This book has got us written all over it. It, it, I know it's not a very common book, Uh, for us to be familiar with, Um, but it's God's work in the wilderness. And I want to recommend one book. Um, It's called Wilderness Wanderings by Bill Lawrence. Um, It it is a book that was released, and you may still be able to get it online. The easier thing to do is just you can get the pieces of it, each chapter, um, at Bill's website. That's how I got it. Um, But Wilderness Wanderings, The Zigzag Life. It is a great, um, it's not an exposition of the book of Numbers, but it's just this paradigm that we live in, um, in this area where um, we've been saved, we've been brought out of bondage, but we're not where we want to be yet. And in that wilderness wanderings, there's ups and downs, there's opposition, there's rebellion, there's struggles. Um, there needs to be some organization that takes place. All of those things are going on, and that is all over uh, the book of Numbers. Now, Numbers is not a book that a lot of us are familiar with the stories. There's a, a few stories here and there you may be familiar with. You, you may be familiar uh, with the serpent being lifted up on the pole. You may be familiar with Balaam's donkey talking to him. Uh, there are a couple of things, 12 spies, you're, you're familiar with those, and those are actually referenced in the New Testament. But I'm going to do something I haven't done before. I want to just kind of get you through the narration of the book, okay, to get it fresh for you. Um, and I'm going to use uh, one particular scholar. Um, I'm going to uh, use Gordon Wenham's summary of the book. So really just sit back. I'm just going to try to summarize the book for you in, in how he puts it together. So if I were trying to summarize the book, I'd stop and explain too many things. Reading it this way gives you a chance on slides if you want to look at them later. You can get the summary of the book, but it also forces me to keep going and not pause too many times to explain things. Numbers begins with a series of directions organizing the people to march from Sinai to the promised land. The tribes are counted, their arrangement in the camp and on the march is specified. The unclean are expelled from the community, the altar and the Levites are dedicated to the service of God, and a second Passover, the first one was back in um, Egypt, this is a year later, a second Passover is celebrated. The nation is now ready to begin to advance towards Canaan, that's 1-1 through 10-10, first 10 chapters basically. 20 days later, the journey begins, difficulties are encountered on the way, but Kadesh on the borders of Canaan is safely reached. They make this journey. So they're they're organized, then they make this journey. Now, one of the ways they're organized is uh, they're they're encamped with the 12 tribes around the tabernacle, okay? So it's it's arranged with uh, the tabernacle always facing east, and when the tabernacle is stopped and the, the pillar and the cloud stops, They camp around it with three tribes on each side and the Levites around the center of that. When they start moving, the Levites go out first, then the tabernacle, and they follow in line until they camp again, and they camp again this way. That's what's the organization that takes place. From Kadesh, 12 spies are sent out to inspect the land. 
Their report is so discouraging, except for two of them, Caleb and Joshua, unbelievable heroes in this book, um, that the people propose returning to Egypt. God then threatens to annihilate the nation, but is persuaded by Moses' intercession to commute the sentence to 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They rebel, and God says, I just redeemed you, I've been providing you, I'm leading you, and you're not going to go to this next step of what I'm asking you to? There's still battle there, but you're not going to go there? I'm going to wipe you out. Moses intercedes, and he says, okay, time served counts, by the way, if you're calculating, because from here they're only going to be 38 years, but it's been two years, and they're going to camp for a little bit, but time served counts, and they're going to be 40 years in the wilderness. Chapter 15 contains laws about the cereal offerings, libations, high-handed sins, and tassels and garments. It basically says, listen, you need to rededicate yourself to me. Chapter 16 and 17 relate several rebellions against the prerogatives of the priest and the Levites. Um, They rebel against their leaders. Chapter 18 sets out the offerings they are to receive. And chapter 19, the the rules about purification after death, because all of them are about ready to die in the wilderness. In chapters 20 and 21, after the interval of nearly 40 years, the movement towards the, law, the, the land resumes with conquests over Canaanites in the Negev and Ammonites in Transjordan. As they're moving, after these 40 years of wandering, they're basically going, okay, now it's time for us to go into the land. They encounter some opposition from some um, other n- nations, Midianites, Ammonites, Moabites. They deal with them, and then they camp in the plains of Moab. The rest of the book, chapters 22 through 36, relates what happened to Israel as they waited to cross the Jordan opposite the city of Jericho. That's going to be the book of Joshua. There's going to be a pause for Deuteronomy in just a minute, though. These chapters include Balaam's prophecy about Israel's future, idolatry at Baal Peor, caused by Balaam, you find out later in chapter 31, another census of the new generation, Laws about land and festivals and vows, because they're getting ready to go into the land. They're going to say, how do we distribute the land? How do we handle all of that stuff? And what about these vows that have been made? The defeat of the Midianites and the request of the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh to settle in the Transjordan on the other side of uh, the, the Jordan River, not in the promised land, but they have to make a vow to say, if you let us settle over here because there's plenty of room for us, We'll come to your help when you need help. We'll cross the river and come help you. So they're allowed to settle. Finally, there's the list of places that Israel camped. Chapter 35 is, or 33 is kind of a review of everywhere they went. And a group of laws dealing with the distribution of the promised land, setting out, okay, organizing what's going to happen here. Um, that's the book, okay? Those are the stories I just, without reading 36 chapters, I kind of summarized all of the stories that are in the book. Um, Now, I'm going to preview something here for just a moment. Numbers in the New Testament is really significant. And here's the lesson I want to to try to communicate here. If you understand your Old Testament, the lights will come on in the New Testament far more often than you imagine. Uh, One of my professors has a course that he taught at Beeson Divinity School. I studied under him at Dallas Seminary. And the course is called The Background of the New Testament. It's a course on the Old Testament. (laughs) The background of the New Testament is a clear understanding of the Old Testament. And it's amazing to see how all of this fits together. I'm going to highlight a couple of them now and ask you to pay attention to them. I'm going to circle back around to two of these at the end. The rebellion and discipline of God at Kadesh Barnea in chapters 13 and 14, which I will refer to as the Numbers 13 generation that had all of these blessings from God. They were saved, 
provided for, guided. They get to the edge of the land and they don't go in. They come, they, they don't go into the land. <laughs> they miss the opportunity. They turn back from the land. And at one point, some of them say, hey, let us try to go in. You know, God now says we have to be 40 years in the wilderness. We're going to try to go in on our own. And they get wiped out. They, God doesn't say you can have a second chance there. You have to understand that to understand what's going on in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 because it refers to them again and again. But I think still it's what's going on in Hebrews chapter 6, which is not about somebody losing their salvation. It's about people who have been saved, who have been provided for and guided by the Lord, who have an opportunity to go to a new place, and they refuse to do it. And God says you don't get a second chance. Now, sometimes you do get a second chance. <laughs> but not in numbers. And he's talking about that numbers 13 generation. All of the words that are used in that passage are words that refer back to the numbers 13 generation. Jesus himself quoted in John chapter three, in one of the most pivotal moments in Jesus's life, when he is encountering Nicodemus and the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, is preceded by a reference to the book of numbers the bronze serpent in chapter 21 being held up. We're going to come back around to that at the very end of this message. Balaam's prophecy of the star in chapter 24, we think of Balaam and uh, Balaam's donkey because Balaam is trying to do something God doesn't want him to do, and the donkey says, stop it, um, and and the donkey speaks. Um, You miss the point if you're thinking about Balaam's donkey because what happens in Balaam's prophecy, his last prophecy in chapter 24 Balaam talks about a star rising in Judah. Balaam is from Persia, where the Magi come from. Why in the world did the Magi come to Bethlehem following a star? They probably had some understanding of this prophecy of the star that Balaam made, and they're looking for that star, which, by the way, the Shekinah glory that's leading them around that goes into the tabernacle that eventually goes into the temple. It leaves the temple, and as it leaves the Holy of Holy, it moves east into the the inner room, then it moves into the courtyard further east, then it moves to the doorway of the the area that's further east, then it moves to the east of the city and keeps going east. That's the Shekinah glory of God is moving. Well, they're following a star from the east, I talked about this a number of years ago in a Christmas message. I'm not so sure that the thing they're following is not the Shekinah glory that comes back and dwells in Jesus. They don't see it until the Mount of Transfiguration when it's all revealed to them, and there's Jesus shining like a glorious light. Um, All of that started with a prophecy that Balaam made after the donkey talks. (laughs) He makes a prophecy that says, Barak uh, or Balak tried to hire me to curse you guys. I tried four times. Every time I end up blessing you, his last blessing is a star will rise and that star will rule. Um, Guys, there's so much of the New Testament you don't understand unless you understand the book of Numbers. So let's jump into this, okay? Move through the book of Numbers. Who is writing? When is he writing? Where are they? And, And why is all this being written? So let me start with who composed this. This is just my sentence again about what's going on for Moses. Moses recorded his eyewitness account of the events in Numbers. He's part of all of these stories, so he's writing down an eyewitness account. 
It begins 20 days after the tabernacle was finished at Mount Sinai, chronicling the journey to Kadesh Barnea, where the Israelites abandoned the Lord's plan for them to enter the land, followed by 40 years in the wilderness of Paran, where the old generation died until the next generation arrived on the plains of Moab, poised to enter the land. That's just a summary of what I've already told you, <laughs> okay? Um, a couple pictures. I, I love smiling Ron Allen, um, professor at Dallas Seminary. He's just a joyful guy. Here's what he says about um, the book. The original recipients of the book were the people in Israel in the second generation from the Exodus, awaiting the command of God to cross the Jordan. This book is written not to that first generation that dies in the wilderness. This book is written to the second generation, basically saying, here's what happened. Are you going to learn the lessons? Um, They're poised to conquer the land. The book describes the affairs of the people of the first generation, but its teaching was for the sons and daughters who are now mature and were about to enter the land. So this is a book written for people to learn the lessons that have gone before because this is a paradigm. This is not to judge the generation that came before. Again, I'm going to say for this second generation, as they look back, they're looking back and they're seeing God's provision, God's guidance, Um, leadership, organization, but also their own rebellion and opposition from others. And that is exactly what they're about ready to encounter. And it is what we encounter today. This book is so relevant for us. We have been saved out of bondage that we could not save ourselves out of ourselves. God is now providing for us, guiding for us, giving us organization. He's given us ways that we can stay in relationship with him, leadership. He's given us all of these provisions And oh my gosh, we complain about it. I don't even know which Bible translation to use. Oh my word, you've got so many Bible translations and they're all fairly good. Just figure out what they're intended to do and use it the way it's intended. Stop complaining. Um, The service is too early. The service is too long. The service is too loud. Ken talks too fast. I know all those things are true, okay? Good grief, can we stop complaining and just be a part of the people of God who are supposed to be a light to the world? This book is so relevant for every one of us. So when did all this happen? The events covered in Numbers take place during basically a 40-year period. It's really 38 years and nine months, okay? A 40-year period when the nation is camped at Mount Sinai until they're ready to enter the Promised Land. Basically, 1446, when they exited Egypt, until 1406, when they go in to conquer the land. Where's all this taking place? They start at Mount Sinai. They're going to go to Kadesh Barnea, send out the 12 spies, decide they're not going in. And Kadesh Barnea, I'm going to show you in just a minute, is in the southern part of the land. They're going to say, we're not going in. Then they're going to wander in the wilderness that's just south of Kadesh Barnea, And then after 40 years, they're going to end up on the plains of Moab. I'll show you all this. It's a travel book, so I'm going to show you a bunch of maps. They're going to end up on the plains of Moab, which is east of the promised land. That's where they're going to end up, okay? So here's where we're going to start off. This is is the Middle East. Um, This is the promised land where Abraham starts. Abraham goes there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are all there. At the end of Jacob's life, he follows Joseph down into Egypt And they are there in Egypt for 400 years. They're in bondage. It's the symbol of their bondage to sin. They're captivated by something that they can't take care of themselves. And God has to deliver them. He delivers them from the bondage and he moves them. And they cross the Red Sea, which is kind of their salvation experience. 
That is all described in the book of Exodus, okay? Now, from there, they're going to travel down here to Mount Sinai, and they're going to be there at Mount Sinai for about 10 months, okay? They're camping there for 10 months. There's going to be a little bit of travel, then they're going to camp for a little while um, in the book of Deuteronomy. But while they're here for 10 months, the book of Leviticus is going to instruct them how you build the tabernacle. They build the tabernacle, they start the worship services, and it's an instruction while they're camped there for 10 months to say, God's in your presence. He's redeemed you. He's in your presence. Here's how you relate to him. Remember your sin. Keep yourself pure. Have all these reminders all the time that you're a different kind of people. They are there for 10 months. Now, what's going to happen is they are going to, from 20 days after they finish the tabernacle, they're going to head out, and they're going to move up here to Kadesh Barnea on the south part of the land. Now I'm going to redo the map with just the land. They're starting here in Kadesh Barnea in the south of the land. This is chapters 13 and 14, the Numbers 13 generation that has been already redeemed. They're believers. God has provided all kinds of things for them, water and miracles and leadership and manna. They've tasted all of those things. By the way, I'm just setting you up for Hebrews 6. From Kadesh Barnea, they're going to travel up to the north of the land. They go through the entire land and spy it out. Twelve spies, one from each tribe. Then they're going to come back to Kadesh Barnea, and ten of them are going to f- spread a false report that says, we can't do this. Caleb and Joshua are going to go, are you kidding me? Look at all the spoils we brought back. God's on our side. We can absolutely do this. Now, from there, that number 13 generation is going to decide, we don't want to do it. And they rebel. And God says, how long am I going to have to put up with this wicked generation? Um, they rebel. Actually, one little group says, Oh, we made a mistake, and they try to run up there, and they get wiped out. From there, they're going to now have to wander. They're starting in Kadesh Barnea, and they're going to wander down here in this wilderness for 40 years. They're going to be there, and that's going to last 38 years after all their travels and then the travel to get them. The whole total is 40 years until they're going to end up up here on the plains of Moab, And that is where the book of Deuteronomy, next week we're going to talk about Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy is going to take place while they are camped there for about four months and Moses preaches four sermons that we have as the book of Deuteronomy. It's four sermons, but it's also organized as a treaty. That's where all of this takes place. It's all, they're moving around, there's travel going on. So, (laughs) context. Um, Who, where, why? Why is all of this written? Danny Hayes says it this way. Numbers provides one with a sobering picture of how rebellion against God um, considered a negative course for one can set a negative course uh, for one's entire race life. Let me say that again. Numbers provides one with a sobering picture of how rebellion against God can set a negative course for one's entire life. The consequences can be severe, and without repentance, people can spend the rest of their lives just spinning their wheels in the wilderness and going nowhere. Fortunately, the Bible tells us that if we repent and turn to God, then he will restore us and bring us back into fellowship. That's, that's what's going on, what's, what's happening in this book. I also love Alan McRae, this guy I just would love to have sat under his teaching. Um, it would have been so fun. 
The Hebrew title, In the Wilderness, that's the name of the book of Numbers in the Hebrew. It's In the Wilderness. Aptly describes the contents of this book, since it deals with the wilderness journey of the Israelites from Mount Sinai to the borders of the Promised Land. It begins with the preparation for the journey. It goes on to tell many interesting and important events along the way. Finally, it describes the preparation for entrance into Canaan. That's, again, the summary of the contents. The book of Numbers, however, describes the journey of people who've already been redeemed and delivered from Egypt. As they went their way toward the promised land, it exactly corresponds to the situation of the Christian in this age. He's been redeemed through the blood of Christ. He's left Egypt. He's been brought out from the control of the powers of sin and darkness. However, he's not yet entered the promised land. We still need some organization, some leadership. There's going to be opposition. We're not going to be everything we want to be. Now, The image of in the wilderness, I'm going to land here uh, once again with Ron Allen. God has time. The wilderness has sand. (laughs) God has time to work with us. Um, And God said, hey, you can either go in my time or you can deal with the sand. Here's his summary of that point. When God has redeemed those whom he had delivered from Egypt and made alive in him, and these people rebelled against him in the wilderness, they said no to action and no thanks to his leadership. They risked destruction. But God, who is rich in mercy, did not annihilate them. He did make an end of them. Rather, he he did not make an end of them. Rather, he allowed his erring people to live out the rest of their lives in the wilderness. For God has time, and he allowed their children to to bury them, for for the wilderness has sand. You can cooperate and work on God's time to grow and become the people God wants you to be. But this, the lesson here and the lesson that's going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 is, but if you don't take an opportunity, take the opportunities God puts before you because he's providing, he's guiding, he's leading, he's giving you everything you need, you may just live your life in a wilderness spinning around and you actually may find ways to cope with it, but it's not what God has for you. So what's in this book? How's it organized? Well, how's numbers organized? It's notoriously difficult to outline because it's travel narrative, okay? The book has geographic, chronological, generational, and thematic divisions, but none of them consistently dominate throughout. So there's kind of a geographical, they travel from here to there to there. I can show you that on the maps. There's a chronological thing that is 20 days, 38 years, four more months, Um, There's thematic divisions, old generation, new division, but they're all kind of woven together, and and it's really difficult to put them uh, in in one place. Let me just show you kind of how this works. There's the preparation of the old generation, getting them ready, organizing them, purifying them for the journey. Then they travel to Kadesh Barnea. They rebel. They don't do what God wants them to do. They wander in the desert. Then they travel. um, they, They... uh, there's, I says rebellion at Kadesh Barnea. It's the travel to Moab there. And then God prepares the new generation. Okay. So it's, it's kind of preparation, travel, wanderings, travel, and then a new preparation. That's kind of what's going on here. You can also see it this way. Um, and this is the outline I think I have in the, in the bulletin preparation of the nation. They're organized and then they're instructed. Then the rebellion of the nation, unbelief, and then wandering, then the rebirth of the nation, this new leadership with new divisions and a new hope to go into the new land. In the middle of all that, there's new challenges as well along the way. 
Um, how I've done this, and there's a chart out at the Connection Center, there's a summary by Eugene Peterson that I think is really excellent out there, and then there's another, um, another piece out of the Connection Center um, that is dealing with just the wilderness. What does the Bible do with wilderness? Um, my chart, I, I'm highlighting the theme here with the two gold bars, the new generation and the old generation. And this is a book written to the new generation to learn lessons from the old generation. So you really do have kind of dominating an old generation, what happened to them, the new generation, and how they're going to continue the plan of God. Um, You're going to see a travel narrative, a travel narrative. That's kind of how it moves through there. You're going to also see how they move from Mount Sinai to the wilderness of Paran to um, the plains of Moab. This is kind of how, how the book is, is moving and is structured. But in the middle of all of this, the theme that goes through is God's going to continue to work. His plan is going to move forward. And he's going to accomplish it, in the words of you too, with or without you. <laughs> he wants to do it with you. He may leave you in the wilderness and do it without you. He's going to accomplish his plan. God's plans and promises will be accomplished. They are unconditional guarantees. Our participation in those plans is conditioned on our faithfulness. That's what's going on in the book of Numbers. So what's the message of this book? Uh, At the bottom of my chart, here's how I tried to summarize it. Moses writing to Jews, poised to enter the land of promise. Again, it's that second generation. He set forth the religious laws of the camp in motion with examples of unfaithfulness from within repeatedly, annoyingly so. Last night, as I worked through numbers again, um, (laughs) I just kept being so shocked. Again, they're doing this again? With examples of unfaithfulness from within and opposition from without, in order to demonstrate that, and here's the main point, God's promised blessings and redemptive plan cannot be thwarted. Your participation in it may go up and down. You may be Joshua and Caleb and get to go into the promised land, which, by the way, there's still fights and battles there. This isn't heaven yet. Or he may leave you in the wilderness. Um, But his plan is going to continue. His plan is going to move on. So what do we do with this? So what? <laughs> okay, this, this is a, a, a narrative of a bunch of people traveling through the land. And there's some complications and some other stories you may be familiar with. Um, but what do we do with all of this? Um, I, I want to remind you, numbers in the New Testament. I, again, we're going to come back to the bronze serpent. Um, I, I want you to, now that I've narrated it enough times, would you go with me to Hebrews chapter 6? We've got a Bible. Hebrews chapter 6. I'm, I'm going to read this section here, and I want you to just listen to the words of what these people have experienced and see if you don't hear an echo about this. Remember um, a couple things. The Numbers 13 generation was already saved. The author of the book of Hebrews is writing to believers And they are Hebrew believers. They're very familiar with the Old Testament. They're Jewish believers. That's why the name is Hebrews. Um, And they are Jewish believers who are considering going back into Judaism because as Christians, they're being persecuted not only by the Romans, they're being persecuted by the Jews. And they're thinking, if I go back into Judaism, 
If I retreat back to where I used to be into Judaism, it's safer and easier there. This whole Christian thing, it is way more difficult. And so they're thinking about going back. That's who they are. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God, instructions about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And God permitting, we'll do so. Let's move on to a new stage of maturity. Let's, let's move beyond the foundational stuff. Let's go to the next stage God has for us. So it is impossible for those who have... Now, listen in terms of Numbers 13 generation. Those who have been enlightened by a flaming pillar, who've tasted the heavenly gift of manna, which, by the way, the word manna in Hebrew means what is it? So if you're wondering, what is manna? The word itself means what is it because we don't know. But they tasted it. It was enough. And then they complained about it. It drops out of heaven. Food for heaven, from heaven in the wilderness, and they're complaining about it. They had been enlightened. They tasted the heavenly gift. They shared in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was on Moses. They tasted the goodness of the word of God that came from Moses as he delivered the word of God and the powers of the age to come, the miraculous things. He's describing the Numbers 13 generation. If they fall away, if we like the Numbers generation get to this next stage of maturity, if we fall away, it's impossible to bring them back to repentance because to their loss, They're saying, you didn't do enough for us. You'd have to crucify the Son of God again to make it forward. And here's the deal. The Numbers 13 generation, they did send uh, on their own, apart from Moses. Moses said, don't do it. If you go up there, you're going to get wiped out. They said, oh, we made a mistake. They tried to go somewhere after God has given them the discipline. And they get defeated. I think you can't understand What's going on here? This has nothing to do with somebody losing their salvation. It has everything to do with God wants you to continue to grow and make progress. And if you're like the numbers generation who's been redeemed, who's been provided for and guided by God through your entire life, and he asks you to go to some new place, and you fall back, and you want to go back to the old land, you may not get another chance. He may say, okay, you can stay in the desert and, and be buried in the desert. This will move on to a next generation. Um, folks, there's a huge message for us here. And it's not about how to get saved. It's not about the dangers of losing your salvation. It's a message about pressing on to maturity and the next stage that God has for you. As you are entering his story... As through your Bible readings and your interactions with one another, your participation in that story, you're being equipped and released to make an impact by making disciples around the world. And if you refuse to say, no, I want to go back to where it's comfortable, and God's asking more of you, if you go back to where it's comfortable, like the numbers generation, you may end up buried in the sand. And for them, that was actually better than going to where there was going to be even more struggle. And I'm not painting the Christian life as, as any glorious, wonderful thing. It's tough. But you can go fight with God on your side, or you can wander around in the desert. God's going to accomplish his purpose. 
there's going to be opposition. Let's just forget about us trying to fix the opposition. Um, The opposition is going to be there until Christ comes back, until the star comes back and he rules and crushes all of his opposition. That's Balaam's prophecy. So what do we do with this? What should we believe? Here's a couple things I think you get out of this book. The Lord is concerned with our preparation for spiritual battle. He organizes it. He gets them organized. He gives them leadership, and he gives them some things to remind them. Do the Passover again. Cleanse yourself. They're getting ready to go into spiritual battle, and you've got to prepare for that. Don't just wander into it. And the Lord may test us to see if we're ready for the next step. He's patient, but he doesn't give us unlimited chances. And, and I wish I, I knew, you know, do I get another chance? I don't know. The, Moses gets a few chances, and then he blows it, and he doesn't get to go in the promised land either. And he's a leader. <laughs> Lord's patient, but he doesn't give us unlimited chances. And the Lord is unstoppable, and he won't be hindered from within or without. He's going to accomplish his stuff. The question is, do you get to participate in it because you're faithful, or do you wander and die in the wilderness? while Joshua's and Caleb's get to go into the promised land. I'm I'm telling you, that's what the book tells. How should we behave? Cooperate with the plan of God and trust him completely. (laughs) Cooperate with what he's doing in your life. Um, Pay attention. Read the patterns in Scripture. I mean, that's one of the reasons that, that we're doing this series, is so you'll become familiar with the big story of Scripture and see the patterns and go, yeah, I'm like that. And I'm inviting you to, to identify with the numbers generation. We're like them. We complain all the time. We rebel. We want it our way. We want comfort. That's all the stuff that they do in this book. Prepare for spiritual battle and take advantage of opportunities to grow. Don't just sit back and just say, okay, I'm coasting now. I did my time. What's your next opportunity to grow? Where does all this fit? I can't say it enough. It's a paradigm of the Christian life. I wish the paradigm of the Christian life was joyous celebration and parties forever. That's heaven. That's our hope. I'm looking forward to that. Until then, I'm in some sort of wilderness, and if I'm not in the wilderness, I'm engaged in another spiritual battle that's going to have some opposition, but God's going to be on my side. This is a paradigm of God has more in store for you. Will you take the next step and go into the battle? So what are some next steps for us? Embrace the challenge of spiritual growth and be prepared for them. Embrace the challenge. Get prepared. God prepares them. He organizes them. He gives them leadership. He tells them uh, all the things they need to remember. Embrace those challenges and be prepared for for the next stage of spiritual growth. Step into new levels of growth God has for you. What's your next level? The plateau. Plateau is boring. <laughs> what is the next thing God has for you? And remember, God is unstoppable, so cooperate with his plan. His plan's not stopping. He's not adjusting his plan to you. He will leave you in the dadgum wilderness because he's got a plan. So get on board and engage with his plan. I've been saying I was going to come back around to this again and again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, thus it's necessary that the Son of Man be lifted up, 
so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For in this way, God loved the world so that he gave his one and only son in order that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I've always been troubled by that story. Why would you hold a snake up in the wilderness? Snakes, they're all bad symbols. I just, and the snake is what was biting them. The snake is what was causing their death. Exactly, it finally dawned on me. What was lifted up in the wilderness that they had to look at was what caused their death. They had to look at that in faith. And when Christ is lifted up, what we're looking at is all of our sin. We're taking a look in faith at God's provision, but to look at the provision of the snake in the wilderness, you had to look at what was causing your death. When we look at Christ hung up on the cross, we're looking at our sin on him that caused our death. That's why we remember his death. Why would we gather together? They looked at a snake, weird. Why do we get together and and remember his flesh and his blood? Because he came and took on flesh so that he could bear our sin to remind us he's taking our sin. He's making the provision. He shed his blood. And we remember that because we're remembering sin caused our death. But God made the one who knew no sin bear sin for us and we look at him. So this morning, we're going to ask you to to come forward. Um, In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand now. Don't move yet, but go ahead and stand. And if you're in these center sections, you can come down here. And if you're on the sides, you can go there. If you're near the back, you can go there. And what I want you to do is, as you come forward, I want you to be looking. (laughs) Looking at these symbols. Because embedded in these symbols... It's our sin that was placed on Jesus Christ. He took on a human form so that he could bear our sin and die in our place. And this reminds us. And we look to this. This is a reminder. Look to this. Because this is the provision that God has made. And it's enough for us to be faithful to him for the rest of our lives. Father, help us to remember well that we're in the the lineage of of your people who have struggled and wandered. We have um, rebelled. We've succumbed to the opposition. We've looked back. We've wanted comfort instead of battle. But you don't give up on us. Knowing for thousands of years that that's what your people are like, and for another thousands of years that that's what we're like, You still sent your son to take our sin and provide for our redemption. We remember it. Help us to respond. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.